Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, first question, if you had to rate week two in the ACC on a scale from overwhelming to six, six, overwhelming success to overwhelming failure, where are you falling on that scale? Really bad. More towards overwhelming failure, that's for sure. Not a good Saturday for the ACC, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, not not great. Uh, let's just say it could have gone a whole lot better. Uh, we got a lot to talk about here. There, there were a lot of games that just did not really go in a way that was encouraging for the way that the ACC is, is going to look this season. Um, Want to start out with, you know, there were some good. There were some teams that just straight up took care of business. You know, your Hokies were one of them. The, you know, our beloved Miami Hurricanes were another one of them. And so we will get to those. We will finish on a positive note with all those teams because several of these games, Mike, have some fairly negative slants to them coming uh, that we want to hit all of these and kind of get in some good discussion. Let's start out with the big headliner game of the weekend in the ACC. The number two Clemson Tigers, 28, Texas A&M, 26. Uh, this came down to the wire. Clemson uh, had a good lead for a lot of the game, and the Aggies came back, uh, score a touchdown late in the game, uh, go for two, don't get it. Uh, this was actually a one drive after AM was about to score and ended up fumbling the ball out of the end zone. And what a lot of AM fans, especially, were considering a very, uh, uh, very controversial call, we'll say. Um, I don't know that it was necessarily the right one or the wrong one. It's, it was really hard to tell. But at the end of the day, this is a game where Clemson kind of survived uh, in a tough road atmosphere, at, at the very least. But a, a game where they were a, a double digit favorite and just barely had to eke one out on the road. I, I I didn't come out of this game feeling better about Clemson than I did going in. Yeah, and I don't know that I necessarily felt worse about Clemson either. It was a very weird game. Like you said, Clemson held the lead for a majority of the game. Of course, they were up 14-3 at halftime. Texas A&M was having a ton of trouble moving the football. But then, you know, it was clear that Jimbo Fisher went into the locker room and had some adjustments in mind. And one of those adjustments was pretty clear um, at the start of the third quarter. It was get the pocket moving for Kellen Mond, right? So mm-hmm. uh, we saw Kellen Mond kind of standing in place a, a lot of the time for Texas A&M. And um, he took a couple snaps there in the third quarter and started rolling out. And I said, okay, they're going to move this pocket, try to take a little bit of pressure off that offensive line with that pass rush because Clemson was getting home quite a bit, even if they weren't able to sack Kellen Mond. They were living in the backfield quite a bit in that first half. So it was clear that something had to change. Um, Kellen Mond had a great third and fourth quarter. Um, you know, like you said, Texas A&M got themselves right back in the game. Mond finished with 430 yards and three touchdown passes. Um, defensively, I thought for much of the second half, Clemson was on their heels. And I think that's a testament to Texas A&M's coaching staff and Jimbo Fisher going in and making the right halftime adjustments to, to get the Aggies back in the game. Um, I came away more impressed with Texas A&M. 
than I did maybe feeling weary about Clemson. I mean, I thought Clemson played a really strong game overall and, and got the job done on the road in a very tough road environment. Uh, the one thing I'll say offensively for Clemson is that the offense moved a lot better in this football game when Kelly Bryant was in the game. And if you're a Clemson fan, that's really encouraging news because Trevor Lawrence came in and played well when he was in um, for the few possessions he was in the first half. But um, Kelly Bryant and his ability to make plays with his feet, I think, was the difference in the football game for Clemson. Um, the reason why the Tigers were able to get out to that lead and have a successful third quarter offensively was because of Kelly Bryant. Uh, finished with 54 yards rushing and a touchdown. Uh, was, he was 12-17 passing, 205 and a touchdown. He did miss some throws, right? Um, there, there were a couple plays in particular. There was a slant over the middle. I think it was T. Higgins. Um, T. Higgins had three catches for like 123 yards in this football game, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, he, had, he had a huge game um, with the three receptions that he had, but he could have had more because Bryant missed him a couple times over the middle. Um, and, and that's something that we've continuously talked about with Kelly Bryant. There's a lot of good, but there's a lot of not so good. And, um, you know, I think Bryant countered the, the mistakes that he made in the passing game, the overthrows, the underthrows with – big time plays with his feet and end up being the difference in this football game for Clemson. So overall uh, good win for Clemson. That's one of the tougher games they're going to play all year. Um, I, I come away more impressed with Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher, because I think that this thing is already heading in the right direction. And I think the Aggies are a lot further along than I thought they were. I felt like Clemson did struggle on offense a little bit in this game. They they really benefited in a couple times from a couple of huge plays off of, you know, missed tackles, blown assignments, that kind of thing from Texas A&M. Um, and, and they benefited from a couple of short fields. And, and I guess I, I wonder how much that's replicable. I mean, they got outgained in this game pretty significantly. Uh, it was outgained by about 85 yards. Um, again, Kellen Mond going for 430 yards and three touchdowns through the air. I, I was a little bit disappointed from Clemson's off uh, Clemson's defense. I, but at the same time, what you mentioned, I mean, it's it's week two, and we're still lacking some context. And maybe it is that A and M is a lot better earlier than I thought that they were going to be. Um, I, I was impressed with the defense here um, from A and M in particular, and, and that's kind of what I expected. But maybe more than that, I, I was impressed with their offense. They kept moving the ball, especially in the second half. Man, they started leaning on the arm of Kellen Mond, and and they were moving the ball down the field consistently. Uh, and it was really only they were really only being stopped by themselves in a lot of cases. It felt like so. Um, yeah, this game was very close, very tight. Um, was was hoping for a bit more of a comfortable Clemson win, but coming away twenty eight twenty six in a very hostile road environment, uh, you know, good on Clemson to get it done. And that's more than several teams could say in out-of-conference games this weekend. And at um, the end of it, in the end of the year, too, people are just going to look at it and say, okay, Clemson got it done on the road, and people are going to forget how it happened, right? So mm -hmm. good win, right? Good win. Sure. They survived. Sure. And uh, just by the way, Mike, uh, my pick of the week was Clemson A&M under 54 and a half. Praise be the hook. Praise, Praise be the be hook. The hook. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This game finishes at 54 points. Uh, my actual bet on it ends up pushing. But at the time that we were going through picks of the week, we had 54 and a half. And I got that one right. So we were in the win column, baby. Dub, dub, dub. Yes, sir. Uh, Clemson 28, AM 26. Moving on, Mike. And uh, Penn State 51, Pittsburgh 6. Not, not pretty. Um, this game was actually. <laughs> yeah, not not really what you were going for there, Pittsburgh. Uh, this game was actually really close in the first half. Uh, it was, I believe, 14-6 to six at halftime. 
very hard-fought game. Pitt scores on their second drive, 10 plays, 75 yards, touchdown. And after that, Mike, so they, they miss the uh, – they go for two and they miss it there. And from there, I want you to listen to this drive chart for Pitt. Interception, missed field goal, turnover on downs, fumble, end of half, punt, safety, punt, punt return for a touchdown, punt, punt, fumble, turnover on downs, end of game. Whew. What? Ooh, not good. Not good at all. Um, this is a game where, first of all, before we go any further, I should mention this is a heavily weather-impacted game. I mean, this was a sloppy, messy game. It was pouring down rain the entire time. Um, I, I was about to join you in betting the over in this game, and I'd seen the number plummeting, and I went and checked the weather and saw it was like a 100% chance of rain for six straight hours. And by the way, playing at Heinz Field there in Pittsburgh, which does not handle water very well. Um, this was a, a sloppy, messy game, but Pittsburgh, you know, they, they, they struggle a little bit to consistently run the ball and finish drives in any way, shape, or form. Um, they had one big run there earlier in the game, and then other than that, uh, it was really a struggle for them altogether. Really, it, it was a calamity of errors in the second half that allowed uh, Penn State to really pull away and and, uh, and put this one away in a big way. 211 yards rushing for Penn State. Uh, Miles Sanders averaged almost seven and a half yards per rush in this game. Um, it was not good for Pittsburgh. Um, I'm officially off of the pittsburgh offense rolling with kenny pickett now like you said the weather did impact things but with that being said they lost by 45 at home to penn state in a game that was pretty close at halftime it was 14 to 6 but you proceeded to give up 37 points in the second half and penn state almost hit the over by themselves so i will give a quick shout out to pittsburgh though for those six points because with that i hit the over so thank you for that <laughs> um other than that, not a whole lot of positives here for Pittsburgh, uh, other than, oh, hey, you kept it close in the first half. Um, by the way, Joey, I, I think Penn State's still good. Uh, we'll figure we'll figure it out, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of questions, I guess, right? But I think they're still good until yeah. further notice. Maybe, maybe App State's good, and I, I don't know. We'll figure all this out in the coming weeks. Um, but anyway, it, I'm surprised Pittsburgh lost this game as bad as they did, given that where this game was at halftime. If you told me that the game was going to hit the over when it was 14 to six at halftime and Penn State was going to score 37 points in the second half, I would have said you lost your mind. Mm -hmm. um, but that's what ends up happening. And like you said, the Pittsburgh drive chart was not pretty. Offensively, it was a real struggle in the second half. And Penn State capitalized on a lot of short fields and that ended up being the difference in the football game. So, uh, you know, I don't know. Pitt's not any good, but I, I just have a lot of trouble gleaning a whole lot from this, given the weather conditions and everything else. It was just a very weird football game. Mike, I, I, I tweeted from the uh, at BC podcast ACC Twitter account. Uh, they, ESPN flashed up a graphic late in the game of Pittsburgh miscues. And I want you to listen to this. And one of the things to consider is how much of this is on special teams. 14 penalties for 116 yards, a turnover, a dropped extra point, a dropped punt, a safety, and a missed field goal. And by the way, the safety was set up because they, they had a uh, they started a possession inside the 10-yard line thanks to special teams. This was that was maybe the most concerning part of all this to me was how much of this was just self-inflicted stuff that made it kind of easy on Penn State. And maybe it 
maybe it starts to sort of just snowball on you after a while, but um, not a great look for Pitt. Um, they put up a really pretty good fight in the first half, but just totally imploded in the second half. Not not a good look in my mind. Uh, never good when you implode like that. And, I mean, like you said, um, the fact that they had a lot of short fields and just self-inflicted mistakes, I think, really ended up being the difference in this game. Yeah. Uh, speaking of really just self-inflicted mistakes and, and a disaster, let's move on. Uh, East Carolina, Eastern Carolina, them of, uh, you know, having lost to open the season to NCA&T, the Pirates 41, North Carolina 19. My goodness gracious. Um, if, so first of all, if you told me that ECU was going to start the season one and one I would have believed you. If you would have told me how, I would not. Um, UNC. <laughs> yeah, so true. Lord. Yeah, uh, UNC was bad here. Bad. Um, just, I mean, they didn't score in the second half, Mike. They spent most of the game trailing. Again, this is an Eastern Carolina team that lost you know, nine games each of the last two years in the AAC. Um, North Carolina looks just bad in this game. They struggled to get anything going. They struggled to defend East Carolina. Um, they got outgained pretty significantly here as well uh, by over 100 yards. I, where are we at with Larry Fedora in the Tar Heels here, Mike? This is a, a pretty crown jewel loss, even in a what we might want to call a rebuilding year, but I'm not really looking to call it that just yet. Yeah, Mr. Lawrence Fedora is pretty screwed, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, now, positives for North Carolina. Um, Nathan Elliott did not throw four interceptions. Yes. And that's about it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, they gave up 510 yards of offense <laughs> to East Carolina, who literally could not score on North Carolina A&T a week ago. Um, uh, yeah, North Carolina was a 16.5-point favorite. I was stupid and bet on them. Why did I bet on them? Because I didn't think they could lose to a team that literally lost to North Carolina A&T a week ago. Not only did mm-hmm. they lose to that team that lost to North Carolina A&T, they lost to that team by multiple touchdowns, Joey. I mean, mm-hmm. they lost them by 22 points. Um Larry Fedora was talking about, okay, I guess it was three years ago when East Carolina blew North Carolina out and a big fuss was made over Larry Fedora saying, oh, you know, I don't remember that loss. You know, that's blocked from my memory. Well, is this one blocked from your memory? Because um, you might need to remember this one. Yeah, because East Carolina is legitimately one of the five worst teams in the FBS and you just lost them by three touchdowns. So what does that say about the state of your football program? I'm done making excuses for Fedora, right? I mean, a year ago, we're saying, okay, it's all these injuries. He'll bounce back. Um, Talk about a fall from grace. They were in the ACC championship, what, three years ago? Um, Maybe four now? Anyway, um, it's just completely – it's amazing how quickly the program's turned. And the fall from grace for Larry Fedora, a guy who was really sought after um, by multiple schools over the last couple of off-seasons before this one. and it's just completely taken a turn. I, I don't know. It, he's in trouble. North Carolina's in a lot of trouble. Um, I think it's we're starting to get towards the inevitable that uh, he's going to be let go at some point. Um, I don't know if they wait till the end of the year or what, but it'll be interesting to see what happens moving forward because this is a guy who 
I, I thought was a good football coach. I College football can humble you. I don't know. That's all I'll say. I'm just over here kind of laughing at the thought that if two years ago you told me that Larry Fedora was going to be fired for cause, I would have thought it would be a lot, a lot of things and not losing to crappy AAC teams by multiple scores. Um, this was, this is just a disaster. Our friend, Andrew Parker, by the way, he, uh, he sent us a couple of questions and one of them is there's no way this season's going to be held against Fedora, right? He's too good for jokes to lose. Now I think what he's saying is that we need Larry Fedora for laughing stock material in the ACC and if that's the case, I, I have bad news for you, Andrew, is that I think uh, as our other friend Josh Parcell wrote an article recently, uh, he, he labeled Larry Fedora as a dead man walking. And I'm, I'm, I think I'm on that bus. I don't think this yeah. is going to last much longer with North Carolina. Get your jokes in now. And what I mean by that is get your jokes in now because Fedora is going to be let go sooner rather than later. Not get your jokes in now because he's going to have this miraculous comeback and bring the program back. I think mm-hmm. I think that should – I mean, I'll I'll be happy to admit I'm wrong, right, if, if that ends up happening. But I think that ship sailed, Joey. Um, I think it's pretty safe to say at this point. Yeah. I, the last thing I'll say on this, last year was a, a definite rebuilding year for North Carolina. They lost a bunch of guys from the year before, and then they had a whole bunch of injuries that compounded the whole thing. So you get a little bit of a pass on that. But all the experience that those guys got last year, they come back this year, and now they're still just getting blown out by East Carolina. I mean, this isn't a rebuild anymore. This is maybe a bit of what the uh, the, the current state of North Carolina football is. Um, and, and by the way, next Saturday – you know who's coming to town? The reigning national champs, Mike. It's yeah, weather per- champs. Weather, weather permitting, right? Yeah, that's a, that. <laughs> if if this is the second straight year that an ACC team doesn't get to play UCF because of a hurricane coming through, it's probably just not meant to be. But it's also probably the second straight year that uh, that ACC team would have gotten beat. So it's maybe for the better. Yeah. And personally, I, I'd like them to play in the hurricane. That way, North Carolina's fan base can make all sorts of excuses again, like they did a couple oh, of years yeah. ago. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. All right. Uh, East Carolina, 41. North Carolina, 19. And Mike, speaking of ACC teams, losing to you know directional Florida teams. Get your drink. Let's move on. That's right. The South Florida Bulls, 49. Georgia Tech, 38. Um Man, Mike, this was this was painful and frustrating. Um, right out the gate, Georgia Tech gives up two kickoff returns for a touchdown in the first quarter. Um, it's, you know, like if it happens once, all right, you know, good return. We, you know, we messed up. We'll figure it out. All right. Five plays, 70 yards. Georgia Tech comes back, scores its own touchdown. That's great. Kick it off again. And they ran it back again, Mike. He had 195 yards of kickoff return in like six minutes of game clock. Uh, I mean, that was a mess. Um, USF comes in. Georgia Tech has a 10-point lead starting early in the fourth quarter. And in typical Atlanta sports fashion, USF scores 21 straight points to end the game and wins 48-39 or 49-38. Um, Georgia Tech's defense was not super sharp in this game, especially in the second half. I mean, we talked about how USF has a lot of talent and it can be really good, but my biggest issue, USF's lead rusher was their quarterback, Blake Barnett, and there was never any adjustment that was made to try to prevent him from running the ball. I mean, he kept getting, you know, he'd try to go go for a read option play. Everybody's chasing the running back and Blake Barnett slips out the back door. And and that was like a constant thing going on in the second, uh, second half of this game. It was very frustrating to watch. Um, 
Taquan Marshall goes out at one point in this game. Uh, early in the early in the third quarter, he has a long run. Uh, as he's being tackled out of bounds, he kind of tweaks his knee and ankle, something you know in his lower body. He comes out of the game. Tobias Oliver comes in, uh, redshirt freshman quarterback. Finishes with 18 carries for 97 yards and three touchdowns. Um, he was in the game, and Georgia Tech ran about three plays, about you know five plays, and I bet it was three different play calls. They were just going back and forth, double option, double option, double option, and they were getting about seven yards of play every single time. Um, just worked over South Florida. This is another game. They outgained the Bulls big time. Uh, well over 100 yards of, uh, of gain here. Now, part of it is that South Florida can only gain so many yards when they're running back kickoffs for a touchdown. But um, this was a very frustrating loss, and, and there was a lot of frustration and outrage from Georgia Tech fans on uh, social media throughout the day and afterwards. Um, I This is one of those where it, it I recognize and we talked about that South Florida is a probably a good team, probably someone that we were not giving quite enough credit for, someone that might run a lot of the table this year in the AAC. But at the end of the day, it's another game that Georgia Tech had a big lead in late, you know, had the chance to put it away and then found a way to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. And I, I, I continue to say I don't think that this is a talent issue with this team. I think it's a coaching issue. And, and I'm getting more and more fed up with this, Mike, if just being – Flat out honest, I'm getting more and more fed up, and I'm running out of patience with what I'm seeing from this team on such a consistent basis. Uh, all that is noted. Um, first, I'll make a joke. I didn't know that Ted Roof was coaching special teams. Damn it all. Um, sorry. Okay. <laughs> now, now to more serious parts of the conversation. I brought this up about a year ago, maybe – I don't know, maybe a little bit less than that. It was right around the Miami game last year um, when I brought this up about Georgia Tech. I said, at what point does this start becoming Paul Johnson's fault, right? And I posed that question to you. And you said something along the lines of Ted Roof's the problem. But you also said if this is a trend that continues, once Ted Roof is removed, then it becomes a Paul Johnson problem. And that's what you said, and I agreed. And now Ted Roof's been removed, and now they blew their first late lead of the year. Um, granted, there were some things working against them. Taquan Marshall leaves the game. With that being said, um, Tobias Oliver comes in and has three touchdown runs. So, you know, while you'd like to have Marshall in there, like how much was he really missed? You know what I mean? Um, I, I guess you miss him in, in the passing game. You, you miss having the full – full depth of the offensive playbook at your disposal. Um, like you said, Spice Oliver had about three or four different plays that he was running when he was in the game. Uh, but he was effective. They were averaging, like you said, about like seven or eight yards of play. So they were still moving the ball. So that's good. So when does this come down to Paul Johnson? Um, and I think we're potentially starting to get to that point. Now, with that being said, Georgia Tech's got a lot of schedule left ahead of them. Um, they have a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. They have the ability to get this thing figured out. And like I said, and like you said, it's not a talent issue. <laughs> We've kind of maintained that for a while. It's never been a talent issue with Georgia Tech. It's been uh, various coaching issues that have kind of done them in. And I think we saw that again on Saturday. Real quick, um, I, I texted you because I was at the Virginia Tech game on Saturday, so I'm, I'm texting you while this game's going on. I didn't see any of this game live, full disclosure. Um, watched some of it afterwards, um, and, you know, I reached out to you. I said, what's going on in the Georgia Tech game? 
uh, you say to me, okay, well, good news. Like Georgia Tech's winning in spite of Taquan Marshall leaving the game. It's 38-28. I said, oh, that's good. And then finally the score comes across at Lane Stadium about 45 minutes to an hour later, and I see Georgia Tech's now all of a sudden behind. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what's happening in Atlanta? Or uh, what's happening in South Florida? Um, so, you know, I don't know. It turned quickly in the second half on Georgia Tech. Like you said, another another game where they've had a lead and it slips away. Uh, obviously, extremely frustrating as a Georgia Tech fan at this point. A lot of angry Yellow Jackets fans on social media, Joey. Um, that was that was pretty apparent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple other aspects of this game. So Georgia Tech had a chance to put the game away, by the way. Um, they they had the ball with about about eight minutes to go. They were driving down, getting inside the red zone. Third and three from the USF 19, Quay Searcy takes a toss, gets about seven yards, has the first down, and fumbles. Um, South Florida picks it up, goes ten plays for a touchdown, and then five plays for a touchdown on their next drive. This was one of those where you had you had it. I mean, they still had a three-point lead, but that would have pushed it to 10. Georgia Tech had the chance to win this game, and again, they, they snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. Um, South Florida drive chart in the second half, seven plays, touchdown, five plays, punt, eight plays, touchdown, 10 plays, touchdown, five plays, touchdown. It's not, not great. Um, I... The defense is going to take some time to get fixed. I, I wasn't thrilled with what I saw in this game, at least from a strategy and coaching standpoint. Um, but I, I will give that a little bit more time. But yeah, Mike, I, I want to keep having this conversation throughout the year because if this is another six and six, five and seven kind of year, it's like I'm I'm kind of ready to move on here. And, and I think maybe Paul Johnson will be too. I think maybe a lot of folks will be. So we'll keep having the conversation. One other note here, Cervante Benson, uh, he left the game early. Uh, with some sort of leg injury. He did not return. He was in street clothes on the sideline uh, later in the game. We haven't yet gotten a prognosis on him or when he'll be back potentially, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, one last note is both David Curry and Tariq Carpenter were ejected in this game for Georgia Tech for targeting penalties that were awfully ticky-tack, Mike. Awfully ticky-tack. Um, I, I was watching the Georgia game later, and I saw a – a Georgia defender just crunch a South Carolina player, you know, in the head neck area, no flag. I mean, it was 10 times worse than what multiple players did to get ejected here. It's, it's one of those things that just, it was a bunch of things going on here that were not helping the yellow jackets. Um, and that was, that was definitely a part of it was uh, losing a couple of pretty, uh, two of their better players on defense, honestly, um, from kind of what I would call silly targeting calls. So um Again, a lot of frustration in this game from a lot of different angles. Um, we'll see if if Paul Johnson can get this fixed, and if not, yeah, I, I mean, I think this is uh, we're running out of time here. It's about time to uh, move on here. So we'll did see. You see did, did you see uh, Liberty's punter in the Army game yesterday? Now that oh. was <laughs> that was targeting. <laughs> yes, I'll, I'll fire you over that link. That was yeah. targeting. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. He went in head first on a guy that was kind of trying to slide, and it was. Yeah. Obvious targeting. How, yeah. how many punters have ever gotten thrown out for targeting? By the way, uh, I don't know, but that's one. By the way, yeah. so, <laughs> good yeah. stuff there. Yep, uh, South Florida forty-nine, Georgia Tech thirty-eight. Not so good stuff in Tallahassee, Mike. Um, still continuing to wonder how much your your Hokies are really good versus Florida State's really bad. Florida State 36, Samford 26, and that doesn't even really tell the story of the games. Samford led most of this game, Mike. 
like eight plays in for Sanford, they had scored 13 points. They were up 13 to nothing. They led all the way up until there was about four minutes to go. Florida State had a hard time in this game. This was a, a mess. They continue to struggle on the offensive line, again, against Samford. Um, they gave up 475 yards passing to Samford. What is going on in Tallahassee, Mike? Is this is this a, just a massive letdown after you know the disappointment of last week, or is this there's it feels like there's some big fundamental issue going on in, in Tallahassee right now? Yeah, um, it's play calling. That's pretty clear, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to your point about like how good Virginia Tech is, like I don't know, dude. <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know, we'll get into the Virginia Tech game in a second. They look good on Saturday against an FCS team, but like you know coming away from that game on Labor Day night. Now it's less about, okay, wow, really impressive for Virginia Tech versus like having fundamental questions about Florida State and their ability to win like eight, seven or eight games this year, which I thought was like a no brainer. Uh, This offense is having some serious issues. Thankfully, Virginia Tech won by three touchdowns, not having their best stuff offensively, because now looking how Florida State responded against Samford, it, it wasn't good. And I have questions about Willie Taggart right now and and the offense, right? The play calling hasn't gotten any better. Um, There were questions about DeAndre Francois. I thought he played okay. Um, I I did watch a good bit of this football game. There was a lot of criticism about Francois. Um, Florida State Twitter is just not a fan of him, and I'm not really sure why and why they think that, like, James Blackman is the answer. Um, he completed like 52% of his passes last year. And I watched a lot of Florida State games and Blackman looked completely and totally overwhelmed. So I'm not really sure what benching Francois is going to do for them, in all honesty. Um, it's only a matter of time. I mentioned this to you, Joey, before we hit record. I think, in my opinion, it's only a matter of time before this defense for Florida State kind of folds up and that's it. They're having serious issues in their front seven. Um, th- now, this overall is a pretty good Florida State defense, I think. Um, didn't get off to a great start, like you mentioned, um, on Saturday night. But this is a defense that's holding it together in spite of an offense that's just been absolutely horrific. Um, play calling wise, the, the inconsistency has been there from the jump this year. Um, it just hasn't been good. And, and I really wonder how long this defense is built to hold up and make up for an offense that's objectively bad right now. Um I don't think the defense of Florida State has the depth to withstand a bad offense for a 12-game season, which makes me concerned for Florida State moving forward because you look at the rest of their schedule, you still got to play a Louisville team. We'll get into that in a second. Um, They pulled it together late. Um, They got to play a Louisville team that does have some talent. Obviously, they play Clemson still. Like they got Miami, like there are some games left on Florida State's schedule that seem like they should be relatively winnable, um, including the one next week against Syracuse (laughs) that all of a sudden don't look so winnable because the offense is struggling like it is. So I I don't know. I I think that they need to decide what they're going to do with the tempo of the offense. Um, They're trying to it's clear that the players are struggling to figure out when to speed it up, when to slow it down offensively, um, which in my opinion is on coaching. And I think some of it will um, will be fixed as the players get more comfortable with the new scheme. But I think DeAndre Francois has to get a little bit more comfortable in the pocket. Um, I think that's clear. He's struggling with that read option specifically. He struggled with it in the Virginia Tech game. He struggled with it a little bit in this game. Only had five carries for 15 yards. He has to become more of a threat at 
as a runner at the quarterback position, because that's going to be a big part of the Florida State offense moving forward. Um, passing the ball overall, he was fine. 320 yards, three touchdowns. He was 31 of 46 through the air. So obviously he's got the arm talent to, to, to make all the throws, but um, he needs to become more of a threat running the football because right now that's a dimension that's missing from the Florida State offense because um, Willie Tiger loves to run those read options with the quarterback. So, um, yeah, Florida State's got a lot of things to figure out. Um, I fell asleep in the fourth quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter, and I woke up with like four minutes to go and Florida State was still trailing. So that was a surprise. Um, obviously, the score is not indicative of how this game went, like you mentioned. Um, Seminoles trailed almost the entire way and pulled it out late. But a lot of questions in Tallahassee, and they have to pull it together real quick because they're facing a Syracuse team who – Look, if they're going to give up like 400 yards passing to Sanford, like <laughs> Eric Dungey's coming to town and he's one of the most talented quarterbacks in the conference. So they got to figure something out this week. Oh, I'm going to make it one thing worse on you, Mike. They're going to the Carrier Dome for that game. Yeah. And that has <laughs> not treated ACC teams well. The Knowles are traveling to the Carrier Dome. I think they're going to be like a two or three point favorite. So have fun with that, Florida State. Um, I. Really, I think you said it all, Mike. I mean, they're, they're struggling on offense, especially with play calling, just getting in a rhythm, anything. Uh, they, they cannot get it going right now. The thing that I will say is that I am generally not like a quick on the trigger kind of person. You know, two or three games in, all right, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a little bit to gel. You know, we'll, we'll be patient, not really worry about it too bad. But the thing is, though, I mean, you need to see some sort of progress throughout this year. Um, I it is hard to sit here and say that they could or should fire a coach year one. Um, you know, they've invested a lot in, you know, give him some time, let him get his guys in the door, whatever. But you're Florida friggin' state. There's Samford. And you've struggled to get four yards per carry. And you just, I mean, we need to see something, Mike. This Florida State, at the end of the day, year one, I don't really care any of it. If you can't go to a bowl game, at Florida State, with the talent advantage they're going to have in most of their games, that's inexcusable. They've got to get something figured out. And I don't know what, what it is or when it's going to happen, but for Willie Taggart's sake, I hope it's sooner than later because this is already catching a lot of awful press. Um, it's going to be pretty pretty impossible to recruit to these kind of conditions if this keeps up. Yeah, and, and one last note real quick. I, I saw some Florida State fans putting out there on social media um, that – I, you know, the coaching staff and the media led the fans to believe that there's more talent at Florida State than there actually is. I couldn't disagree with that more. <laughs> I really couldn't. Um, that's excuses for almost losing to an FCS team. Like I, uh, that your excuse making. Yeah, your excuse making. If that's if that's your stance on this thing, when you're losing to Samford in the fourth quarter, kind of like your Florida State. Come on, if Syracuse, if Syracuse could beat Sanford, a team like Sanford by like four or five touchdowns, so could you in Florida State, right? Like there are there are a lot of like mediocre to bad teams, not only in the ACC, but throughout college football that would have put up a much, much better showing um, than, than Florida State did against Sanford on Saturday night. So you're just making excuses if, if you're going to say, oh, well, this team isn't as talented as maybe we thought. I just... That just feels so so lazy and, and weak. That that is not a good excuse in my mind. If you're Florida State, especially trying to excuse a game against Samford, just stop. Um, all right, Florida State thirty six, Samford twenty six. Let's move on, Mike. Louisville thirty one, Indiana State seven. 
this was not pretty from Louisville. I will I will start by saying that this is a heavily weather impacted game. Um, this game had three separate lightning delays all in the first quarter. It was a it was kind of a mess. Um, there there were two stoppages that combined for two hours, and there was a third one for 33 minutes all in the first quarter that all kind of threw some stuff off. But Louisville spent a lot of this game tied with Indiana State. Um, they took a 7-0 lead on a punt return for a touchdown in the first quarter. Indiana State scores a touchdown uh, shortly before that last lightning delay, and that was it scoring for a while. Louisville finally scores again late in the third quarter to go up 14-7, to but this was a real struggle on, on offense for Louisville. Jawan Pass, not very good in this game, 8 of 14 for 89 yards and a pick. He ended up getting benched, Mike. He got benched for Malik Cunningham against Indiana State. Uh, not not a great look at all here. Um, one of these games where you really would have hoped that they would be able to put it together, but it took benching their starting quarterback, Puma Pass, to, to even get a, an offensive touchdown on the board. Um, not not ideal weather conditions. I mean, it was overall a pretty ugly, gloomy night for you know for the Cardinals, but you can't do any better than that. And this is really discouraging. Yeah, um, this is discouraging. And rest in peace to the narrative of Jawan Pass being a good to great passer. Um, now, granted, the weather was not good, right? So, and, and I don't want to make all these, you know. I don't want to make overreactions or jump to conclusions over two games with one of them being heavily affected by weather and the other one against the best team in the country in Alabama. But with that being said, uh, the stats are the stats. Chawan Pass, 8 of 14, 89 yards and a pick, and he got benched. Um, Malik Cunningham, 6 of 7, 75 yards, touchdown, um, had 54 yards on the ground and a touchdown as well. Positives for Louisville, um, the defense looked good. Now, it's Indiana State, right? I get it. Um, and Indiana State is far from a powerhouse. Jaleel Kilpatrick, their quarterback, was 3 of 7 for 37 yards. As a team, um, Indiana State had 50 carries for 174 yards. So they're only averaging about 3.5 yards a carry. So the Louisville defense looked good. But the Louisville offense needs to find more ways to score, right, to put the ball in the end zone. I don't care how bad the weather is, right? You've got to figure out a way to get the ball in the end zone against Indiana State, and they weren't able to do so. Um, it was a sluggish start. The weather did impact things. Uh, I was really disappointed with the play to one pass after the Alabama game last week because I thought pass held up okay, right? And um, he did not play very well in this football game. It's certainly cause for concern moving forward, but, you know, given the weather and the conditions that they were in, I don't want to, you know, make too many overreactions to this. But with that being said, Louisville did put out a pretty disappointing performance overall offensively, and they have a lot of things that they need to clean up here. I'm mostly concerned about Louisville struggling to run the ball in this game as much as they did. Um, I, and maybe in defense of the pass and Cunningham situation at quarterback, part of the thought moving to Malik Cunningham in this game might have been that he's a little bit more mobile, a little bit better of a runner, um, and has more to offer in that phase of the game. But Louisville, last year, their biggest the, – my biggest criticism of their offense is probably that they couldn't run the ball with anybody not named Lamar Jackson. You know, they got nothing in the run game from their running backs and such. That trend has kind of continued so far this year. Even against, again, Indiana State, 38 carries for 199 yards. You're, you're 
struggling to get to five yards of carry against Indiana State. I mean, that you had a couple of big plays in there, but really struggling to get any sort of consistency in the run game. Mike, Louisville had the ball 12 times in this game, and only three of those drives went for more than five plays. Like, it was kind of a big play or nothing kind of situation for most of this game for Louisville, and that's I just don't think that that's sustainable, especially against better teams. And so, I, you know, again, heavily weather-impacted game. Maybe you can't read too much into it, but I, I was really hoping to see a little more from Louisville there, uh, truth be told. Yep, not great. Not great at all. Louisville 31, Indiana State 7. Moving on, um, I'll say maybe the least disappointing loss that the ACC had in out-of-conference play this weekend. Uh, Indiana 20, Virginia 16. Um, the, the Hoos put up a good fight here. Uh, they, they scored a touchdown on their opening drive. They scored a touchdown to open the second half. And other than that, they really had a hard time. Um, they come up to the end of the game. They had a chance for a Hail Mary there at the end of the game. Uh, that ended up getting dropped. Um, in the end zone, but you know, I, I thought Virginia put up a decent fight here. Bryce Perkins continues to struggle to throw the ball a little bit 12 of 24 for 106 yards, but uh, he was basically their entire offense because he also added 123 on the ground. Um, so maybe some, some positive signs here for Virginia, but still a lot of offensive inconsistency. And um, you, you know, it kind of sucks to, to lose this way on the road. You know, you, you were so close and could have had this done and then just. Couldn't really finish the drill here. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a pretty accurate assessment. Bryce Perkins has turned into a poor man's Brandon Wimbush, which might not be the worst thing in the world for Virginia offensively, because even a poor man's Brandon Wimbush gives them more of the quarterback position than they've had in a while. Um, mm -hmm. Might not be the worst thing in the world. Um I have a question for you real quick. Uh, Jordan Ellis was averaging 5.3 yards per carry in this football game. Why did he only get 12 carries? Uh, maybe it was a read option based running yeah. attack in the, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's not really yeah. any, it's not really that much more than Bryce Perkins was averaging. Right. I, it just makes me wonder, like, uh, did Bronco get, you know, the Jimbo Fisher syndrome or the Scott Leffler syndrome where he's like, well, we got like pretty good running back in the backfield. Let's not give him the football. Um, that's, that's a little bit concerning. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just think they need to consider giving the ball to Jordan Ellis a little bit more because outside of Bryce Perkins, he's really one of the few playmakers on the entire offense. Um, flipping it over to Indiana. Um, Peyton Ramsey, 150 yards passing. They had 237 yards rushing on the ground total as a team. Uh, Stevie Scott, 31 carries, 204 and a touchdown. Um, Virginia's inability to stop the run ended up costing him here, uh, especially in the second half. It was clear that they were wearing um, the Virginia defense down. I mean, that was pretty apparent. You need to have a good rushing attack in tough, hard-nosed football games to win, especially in questionable weather conditions. Now, this game wasn't nearly as affected by weather as some of the other ones we're talking about here uh, in this recap tonight, Joey, but by the same token, it's an overarching theme, I think, with the conference. It's that if you have a good rushing attack or you have a good rushing defense, you're going to be able to win a lot of games in the ACC because there, there are a lot of teams who struggle doing one of those two things. And so you can exploit a lot of teams' weaknesses by doing one of those two things well. It's just a matter of finding a way to do both of those things well. And I think Virginia, Virginia's rushing defense couldn't get the job done. Their rushing offense was okay, but it could have been better. And I think if you give the ball to Jordan Ellis a few more times, maybe you win this football game. So, hey, uh, 
Virginia covered. So yes, they I was did. happy about that. I, I took Virginia plus six, so I was happy that they covered. Um, you know, I'm not about moral victories, but I am about those victories to put money in my pocket, and that was one of them. So <laughs> um, it's not all bad. And Virginia still lost the game, so as a Virginia Tech alum, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'll you're live. fine with that. Yeah, it just feels like this is a bit of a missed opportunity for for Virginia. I, I felt like this was a pretty good uh, measuring stick kind of game. I mean, these are probably two fairly evenly matched teams. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it would have been nice for Virginia to pull it off. Overall, you know, it comes down to a couple of plays here or there. But um, at the end of the day, Virginia can't get it done. Uh, and it's just – it's another loss in out-of-conference play that's a, a bit of a missed opportunity for, for the ACC team. So, uh, you know – Better luck next time, I guess. Indiana 20, Virginia 16. Let's move on to an out-of-conference win, Mike. Duke 21, Northwestern 7. Uh, Duke winning the battle here, but perhaps winning, uh, losing the war. Uh, in this game, they lose Daniel Jones for the season with a fractured clavicle. And one of their leading corners, Mark Gilbert, he's also out for the year in this game. Uh Good that they got the win, but this is pretty concerning for them moving forward. We're going to have to see what, what they uh, bring to the table other than those two guys. Um, you still got Joe Giles-Harris on defense, but, man, that's that's a pretty big loss for Duke here. Yeah, you lose an all-ACC player in the secondary, and you lose Daniel Jones, who looked pretty good uh, through one-and-a-half games before he got injured. Duke was looking like a pretty strong candidate to compete in the ACC Coastal. Um, as weak as this division is, or seems like it is through two weeks. Um, Duke is becoming a problem defensively. I mean, and I mean that in a good way. <laughs> Their defense looks good. Granted, they're not playing the two most explosive offenses in the world, but this Northwestern team put up 31 on Purdue a week ago. Uh, in their opening game, and to only hold them to seven points in a home game is pretty significant, I think. Um, so good for that Duke defense. Um, yeah, losing Mark Gilbert's no good. Losing Daniel Jones is worse. Um, I don't know how you bounce back from that if you're Duke. All I know is, you know, Cutcliffe's going to have those guys ready to play. Now, they're going to be essentially a shell of themselves, especially offensively, without Daniel Jones, I would think. Um, but with that being said, hope everybody gets healed up and is able to contribute at some point down the line because it's tough to lose players to injury. I hate to see it because that Duke-Virginia Tech game at the end of September was shaping up to be low-key one of the better ACC games of the year potentially. And now without Daniel Jones and Mark Gilbert, I mean, it loses a lot of muster. But um, we'll have to see how Duke plays from here on out. Like you say, you win the battle here, beating Northwestern in a game that I didn't think they would win just because I thought it was a tough game on the road. They win this game. They do it pretty convincingly, but you lose two of your best players. So that's never good. And it's a bummer for Duke because this was starting to look like a pretty imposing football team in the ACC. Mark Gilbert had six interceptions for Duke last year, Last year, by the way. So if you're wondering what kind of impact the, the Blue Devils defense might be losing here, um, yeah, it's – this is a, a potential huge missed opportunity for Duke in, in terms of, yeah, they were they were starting to, you know, low-key become a problem in the ACC Coastal, and it's that's a pretty steep uh, mountain to climb now with uh, your backup quarterback and missing one of your top defenders. I, I wouldn't put it past David Cutcliffe to get it done, but, um, you know, it's, it, it's going to be a bit of a, a, an uphill climb here. Yep. Uh, Duke 21, Northwestern 7. 
Let's move on, Mike. And we've got several other games here, and we're going to end it on a positive note. There were good things that happened in the ACC this weekend, uh, so let's get to those. First off, NC State 41, Georgia State 7. The Wolfpack covered 24 and a half and uh, really just generally looked really good. They gave up a touchdown on the opening drive to Georgia State, and after that it was all Wolfpack. Uh, Ryan Finley finishes 31 of 38 for 372 touchdowns and one pick. But, man, this, this NC State offense was really rolling for most of the day, Mike. It were um, a little bit of a slow start, like you mentioned, but um, after the first quarter, I mean, they really got things rolling. They were only 10-7 after one. Like you mentioned, they give up that early touchdown. But, yeah, Finley looked great. When you go 31 of 38 passing, like, we're nitpicking, right? Um, he goes for 372 touchdowns, like you mentioned. Um, Kelvin Harmon, 129 yards receiving on eight catches in this game as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I, like I said last week, um, we were going to learn a lot more about NC State after the first game than we would after the second, just because I think James Madison is more talented than Georgia State is, even though James Madison is an FCS school. That manifests itself on Saturday, and NC State was able to get the job done against a team that you know they should take care of. So they handled them. They look good. And NC State's 2-0, um, setting up for a pretty big game this weekend against West Virginia, which could get interesting, especially if the weather impacts that West Virginia offense that loves to spread it around and throw. This could be a really ugly low-scoring game potentially here uh, coming up this weekend. For sure. Keep an eye out for that. NC State 41, Georgia State 7. Let's go quickly, Mike. we got five FCS games on the docket. Number uh, First off, your number 12, Virginia Tech Hokies 62, William & Mary 17, uh, Hokies really good on the ground here with seven rushing touchdowns in this game. Seven rushing touchdowns. Um, you know, the Hokies fumbled actually on their first drive. They were going in to score and they fumbled. Uh, they got actually got the ball back two plays later as William and Mary fumbled on their own accord. And then from there on out, Virginia Tech didn't give up an inch really. Um, it was 17 nothing after one, it was 38 to seven at the break. Seven rushing touchdowns. Josh Jackson was actually removed from the game in the second quarter because it was such a blowout. Ryan Willis came in, got some reps uh, at quarterback in the second quarter. So that gives you an idea of how quickly this game moved. Um, Josh Jackson and the first team offense actually came back in briefly in the third quarter to get some work. Um, but it was it was get the backups in, get some guys some reps. It was that sort of game. A uh, really convincing game for the Hokies. It was nice that they didn't come out flat after a big win in Tallahassee on Monday night. It was nice that they came out and Outside of that early fumble, they really dominated this game start to finish. There was no signs of them coming out flat against William & Mary. Like, I truthfully expected them to. Um, but ultimately, got the job done start to finish. No problem there. Hokies 62-17 to 17 winners. Moving on, number 22, Miami 77, Savannah State nothing. And, Mike, most importantly here, Malik Rozier, 8 of 12 for 131 and two touchdowns. But Nikosi Perry, 9 of 14 for 93 and three touchdowns. We got a, a quarterback controversy here? Apparently not because Rick said that Rozier's still the guy. So, okay, Mark Rick. <laughs> I like that he had to clarify that after the Savannah State game. Yeah, um, I know. Yeah, easy win for Miami here. Um, they, I, I'm impressed. I, I didn't think that they were going to just totally, uh, just absolutely murder Savannah State, we'll just say. Um I was taking Savannah State in the points with 54 and a half, but uh, Miami just kept rolling. So good on the Canes to do that. Let's move on. Boston College 62, Holy Cross 14, and Mike, the D-Train stops for no man. Correct. Hey, um, the, the one cool thing about this A.J. Dillon 
stat line is he had like six. What was it? Six carries for one forty-nine and three touchdowns. Yeah, in the first quarter, and I think you said he'd have like six carries for one ninety-eight and three touchdowns, something like that. You were close. I was shockingly um, close with that. Yes, and that was only the first quarter, by the way. Um, My so, goodness. Yeah, yeah. Uh, BC BC rolls here. I mean, Dylan got the early work, and then he was done after that. So, um, yeah, nice nice win for BC. Take care of business. Holy Cross stinks. So, I mean, yeah, they're they're a, a good old Pat League team. Yep. Um, it, yeah, BC had a huge lead in this game. They were up thirty-four nothing at halftime, and it only got worse from there. So. Good on the Eagles for taking care of business. Moving on, Syracuse 62, Wagner 10. Uh, another situation where just teams taking care of business. Um, Syracuse leads 45-7 to seven at halftime and just kept their foot on the gas in the third quarter and eventually puts this one away um, really, really early. Uh, Eric Dungy, really good. Five passing touchdowns. Had 11 carries in this game, which seems unnecessary. Uh don't get your quarterback hurt against who the hell is Wagner. Yeah, right? seriously. Please don't do that, Syracuse. Yeah. You got the Knowles coming to the Carrier Dome next week. Yeah. I'm looking forward to previewing that later this week. That could be interesting. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Last one, Mike. Wake Forest 51, Towson 20. Uh, Sam Hartman, the uh, the hype train rolls on. 17-27, 242, two touchdowns, one pick, nine carries, 64 yards, and a touchdown. The Clawfence is uh, is back in full force here. Although it, it was, this was a game for longer than it should have been. I feel like uh, at one point it was fourteen all, and that was late in the first quarter. Uh, the Wake Forest defense had to shore it up a little bit, but they finally got it done. Uh, they had a thirty eight twenty lead at halftime, and eventually win this one fifty one to twenty. Cade Carney one hundred thirty yards on the ground. That's encouraging. Get that rushing attack going if you're Wake Forest. That's the number one thing you can do with a defense that's relatively efficient on that side of the ball so yeah keep running the football well if you're Wake Forest you, that's uh, clearly something you can build on um yep was a game longer than it should have been another one of those games that I didn't see any of live um you know saw some highlights didn't watch us in full but it was clear after first quarter Wake Forest emerged as the better team and, and took care of business to do what they were supposed to do the, the really encouraging thing about this game for Wake Forest too Sam Hartman throwing that interception bouncing back and still playing well he kind of folded up against Tulane when he threw that interception when he threw that first interception last week and then he threw another one so for him to throw that pick and then all of a sudden just continue to play well that's encouraging for Wake Forest moving forward so um yeah, the claw fence keeps rolling on. Um, they're well coached. They're a team to watch in the Atlantic. Not that they'll win the thing or anything like that, but they're a rebuilding team that's not getting a whole lot of love, and I think they're still pretty good, so keep an eye on them. I will say I am concerned that they gave up over 400 yards, including 345 through the air to Towson. Yes. Um, so keep an eye out for that. The, the Wake Forest defense still not looking like a million bucks. We'll say that. Yep. Mike, go ACC moment of the week. And uh, we need to go back to your North Carolina Tar Heels, who in the fourth quarter are trying to, uh, trying to take the lead back from the East Carolina Pirates. They went for it on fourth and short, fourth and one, in their own territory. Uh, they had it twice in the fourth quarter. They were going for it on fourth down from inside their own 40-yard line. And they got stoned both times. And golly, if that's not just 
just a heartbreaker for North, North Carolina. My good, you're down 35-19, then you're down 38-19. Fourth and one, hand it to Jordan Brown and get nothing. Go ACC to that, North Carolina. Yeah, not great play calling. Um, mm. Not ex- opposite of excellent decision making. And it came back to haunt them. So, okay, here we are, Golly. North Carolina. Yeah, it's a bummer. This team stinks. They're bad. They're a bad football team. We're going to need to revisit them here in just a second on the newest segment of these recap shows. Go ACC to you, North Carolina. Struggling to gain fourth and short against East Carolina. Cool. Uh, The Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award, Mike, this week goes to my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. Uh, They tried to act like a functional kickoff return team and or kickoff return defense team, and they gave up multiple return touchdowns in the first quarter. That hasn't happened in the FBS in, I believe it was four four years or something like that. Uh, that that was became the uh, the Affleck trivia question, and it didn't go great. Yeah, um, like I said, didn't know Ted Roof was coaching special teams. We'll leave that there. Just ugly. Not great. That's that's a poorly coached team, and that's that's not a good sign. So. Hopefully they get it turned around, but if not, then we're going to have bigger discussions. We are. Lastly, Mike, your dumpster fire of the week. Once again, your North Carolina Tar Heels. Yep. Yep. You Um, lost to a nine-loss East Carolina team that just got beaten by North Carolina A&T last week. So, question, where does this leave North Carolina in the North Carolina – college football team power rankings because Ooh, I'm pretty sure it's like behind that. NCA and T at this point. Yeah. Behind, certainly behind AC NCA and T. Um, wow. Are there any teams in the state of North Carolina that have football programs that are worse than the university of North Carolina at this point? I'm not sure there are. Mm, yeah. Maybe Elon, maybe where are they? Are they? In, I mean, they're in North Carolina. Maybe. Maybe, but also maybe not. Um, Elon lost to South Florida last week, 34-14, and then beat the tar out of Furman this week, uh, 45-7. So I'm going to go ahead and just make the executive call that I think Elon's better than UNC right now. Uh, Wake Forest hasn't lost. NC State hasn't lost. Duke hasn't lost. I'm pretty sure North Carolina is objectively the worst college football team in North Carolina right now, and I I will not hear arguments otherwise. And they're also objectively the worst, one of the worst football teams outside of North Carolina as well. (laughs) Like nationally, they're one of the worst teams. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I um, again very surprised that it's gone this poorly. Uh, I thought they'd bounce back a little bit. but it's just not going to happen. I I tweeted out, I said, you know, over under three wins for North Carolina or over under two and a half. I said hard under. Like, anybody want to make a bet that North Carolina gets the three wins this year? I mean, I I don't, especially after these first two performances. Again, don't want to overreact, but you just lost to an East Carolina team that lost to NCA and T, right? And not only did you lose to them, but you lost to them by three touchdowns. Um, East Carolina is going to Blacksburg on Saturday, another game that I'll be at. Um, to give you an idea, East Carolina is a 29-and-a-half-point underdog going to Blacksburg, um, which you can only imagine what kind of underdog UNC will be. 
even though they get the Hokies at home later in the season. Look, they're they're going to be hard pressed to find any games this year that they're favored in from here on out. Uh, it's going to be a struggle. So, dumpster fire of the week, maybe dumpster fire of the month or the year. Uh, it, it's going to be an ongoing saga here for North Carolina. By the way, Bill Conley put out his updated S and P Plus rankings earlier today. North Carolina, ninety sixth. That is worst, worst in the ACC. Yeah, um, that and that might be a little generous because. Yep. Man, they have really, really crapped the bed here. Um, so enjoy that, North Carolina fans. Uh, Mike, anything else on this recap this week? What, what overall takeaways from this week in the ACC? Yeah, I mean, overall takeaways, I think it was a pretty bad week for the conference. But with that being said, you have a lot of teams that are still emerging undefeated or with a winning record. They just looked kind of poor doing it, um, with the exception of you know Pitt getting blown out. Georgia Tech losing and what was a poor second half. And outside of that, it was really just, oh, in North Carolina, of course, <laughs> losing to East Carolina. Outside of that, you, you have teams that just kind of looked bad or, or didn't look great winning. Um, you know, you have Clemson going to a tough road environment in a game that they essentially had in hand, not getting the job done. But then you have Florida State trailing the entire way to Sanford, essentially. Louisville looking bad against Indiana State. Um, you know, Virginia losing a game against Indiana that I thought they had a good chance to win. I, you know, so there are a number of games on here that the ACC could have performed a lot better, um, even in a winning effort. So I, we'll just see if they bounce back from week three. We're still learning a lot about these teams early in the year. So don't want to paint things with a broad brush. But with that being said, it was a tough weekend for the conference. Week three does feature some really interesting uh, out-of-conference matchups as well as a couple of pretty interesting conference matchups. We start Thursday with Boston College and Wake Forest. Uh, Saturday, Florida State and Syracuse, Georgia Tech and Pittsburgh, uh, not to mention UCF and North Carolina, Miami at Toledo. Yeah, they're in Toledo, Ohio for that game. Uh, West Virginia and NC State, Duke and Baylor. Uh, very I think it sets up to be a very interesting slate for the conference, and it, it's an opportunity to be a bit of a bounce back in some of these out-of-conference matchups, but it's a matter of really making sure that, that you get it done um, because those are games that a lot of them can be pretty easily lost if, if teams don't show up. So I, I'm with you. Not a not a pretty week for the uh, for the conference here, but chances to, you know, chance, chance to rebound, and overall it's a long season, so who's to say, you know, maybe, maybe we can come back and uh, get it right here in the next couple of weeks, but – Mike, that's all I got. Uh, we need to get out of here, and uh, we're going to come back and preview those games shortly. But until then, they can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Uh, you can send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns, everything. Send it all to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Yep. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free. And shortly you'll be able to find us on Spotify, but not just yet. So don't hold it against us. And Mike, tell them where they can find us on the social medias. Yeah, check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference. Rate, review, find all of our podcasts there. Also rate and review us on iTunes. A lot of you have done that. But for those of you who haven't, what are you waiting for? Give us mm -hmm. a review. Give us a rating. Yeah, get on that. Please do. Please do. And please share us with your friends. We like having uh, friends involved here. I've, I've shared this with our coworkers, and they've gotten to hear all about uh, Mike's Wilmington shenanigans uh, in recent months. And if you haven't heard about those, you know, they're, they're on the archive, so go find them. Highly, re recommended. Highly recommended. It's very, very entertaining. 
Um, and by the way, you can go find us on YouTube as well if you so choose. Um, very uh, a, a nice blossoming comment section there. So go go join in the discussion uh, on on the YouTubes. Mike, that's all I got. You want to come back and preview week three? We got you, man. We got no choice. Week three already. We're it, we're moving here. I would say it can't be worse than week two, but. I mean, hey, those are famous last words. So yes. maybe it could be. We'll, we'll have to see. Uh, so we will come back and preview those here in a couple of days. And uh, Mike, until then, travel safe for work. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks, man. Sounds good. Yep. All right. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until then, go ACC. Go ACC.